Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of Andrew and Andrew on Texas Criminal Defense. My name is Andrew Harris. And I'm Andrew Decker. Who are you? I don't know. It feels like it's been a long time. It has been. (laughs) Good to see you, sir. Uh, What did happen? Man, February's blown by. Well, Uh, we, 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 in February, we had a little bit of ice. We did have the ice storm. Um, And then uh, we get back to work. So we missed basically a week. Yes. And we get back to work. And then I get a text from you like mid morning. It's the 15th exclamation point. And I'm like, I can't talk to you today. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm sure you all missed us. Uh, But you know what? Get over it. We're here. Um, <laughs> well, you know, we're, we're, we're at over three and a half years. And I think this, that was episode number two that right? we missed for some reason. Yeah. Um, I think that actually puts us ahead of some of the professional, bro- professionally done bro- uh, podcasts that drop every week. And granted we do twice a month, um, yeah. but we don't make any money on this. We're not getting paid. And now, of course, if you'd like to sponsor Andrew and Andrew on Texas Criminal Defense, please contact Mr. Harith or myself, Indeed. and we will be glad to talk details. Yes. We will sell our souls for cheap. Yes. <laughs> yep. Yeah, we are sellouts. We are ready ready to talk numbers. So I mean, again, we because we don't get paid, we've dropped down from Topo Chico's, which are like now $1.20 a bottle at Costco, right. to the Costco brand canned drink, which yeah. is like 30 cents a can. Um, mm, still lovely. It's it's well, it's better than a poke in the eye with a stick. That's right. Well, and and uh, you know, I know I talked with you. Like, I don't know, maybe we should do you know, like some of these other podcasts and just put up a a rerun episode. But Mr. Decker said, "No, sir, we don't we rerun. Are, we are authentic. We don't rerun our episodes." So you you uh, you got a break from us, and now we're back. We're going to be talking about some storytelling today, right? Storytelling, and we don't mean making up stories. No, no, no. No, although I mean, we get accused of that. Yeah, uh, we we do get accused of that a lot. But but really, um, you know, the story of your case, it, it, we we have sometimes referred to this uh, in, you know, selected in our jury selection, board dyers or talking with other attorneys. Um, but we're really going to get into openings and closings today. Um, and it's it's a uh, it's good timing on our on our part, right? Because you just gave a CLE, a yeah. couple CLEs on I, this. Yeah, I've, I've actually given this CLE in January, and then uh, moments ago, moments, moments yeah, ago, this, this moments is fresh ago. off the press, um, and uh, was heckled by the judges in the room, which yes. was a new a new phenomenon, lovingly heckled. Right, um, right. I good natured ribbing. Yeah, I think it was uh, respectful, respectful. Uh, heckling. <laughs> it was, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but but still well received. Uh, so openings and closings. Um, let's let's talk storytelling, uh, Andrew. Okay, so uh, one of the things that we we know about every great story is it has a conflict, right? Um, yeah. Uh, let's just go with something as simple as Jack and Jill went up the hill. Well, the conflict is the hill, right? right? And they need some water, so they've got a conflict of they've got to get water. They've got a hill to, to master, and poor Jack can't handle it, and he falls down the hill. And, you know, Jack and Joe went up the hill, fed yeah. a bottle of water. Jack fell down and broke his crown. In other words, he busted his head. Okay. Right? I remember that. Right. So as early as our early nursery rhymes, we have conflict. They're what drives the story. They're what makes a, uh, a good story. No good story doesn't have a conflict, right? Because you want to know how it ends. You want to know what happens. 
We don't really find out what happens with Jack. We just know he busted his head. Uh, yeah, and and actually, like one of our um, mutual acquaintances, friends is a is a screenwriter. Kind of we we haven't talked with him in a, in a minute, but I remember like talking with this guy um, and just kind of telling him about my day. And he's like, "God, this is a terrible story." Um, <laughs> you know, like what's what's going on here? Is this does it have an end? Is there a catch? Is there you know what's going to happen in well, X? Where's three? the hook? Like he's always talking about the conflict with between characters within characters and stuff so so right i mean every every story has a conflict i get it right so a conflict or a villain and um uh i don't really have a minor in english but i have enough credits for a minor in english uh, i anyway um and one of the things that we had to learn and we talked about it often in uh literature was what are the classic conflicts um and sometimes some people say there's four uh, i learned it is five but they've since added a sixth one. You might not know this. I went to college a long time ago. Dinosaurs still roam the earth. Yep. We didn't really have uh, desktop computers yet. I'm, sure, I'm surprised that they had English. They offered English back then. Well, it was a foreign language. They always <laughs> <laughs> Um, But the, the first one is, uh, and again, I learned it as man versus self. Well, now it's character. Why? Because we're more inclusive and I'm going to try to be more inclusive. But if I slip yep. into the old language, just, you know, deal with it. Uh, so character versus self. So that inner conflict, um, great examples of that now would be uh, any movie uh, where the the person is dealing with an inner demon, depression, um, addiction. Those would be uh, character versus self. Really, the the conflict they have is not beyond their own person or their own weakness. Hmm. Uh, then the next one is character versus uh, person or other. In other words, uh, the way you and I feel about each other, Mister Harris, we are constantly at each other's throats. And yeah. So you versus me would be character right. versus other, trying to best each other. Right. In all yeah. things. Right. Right. But a, a more classic, if you want to go to a movie example from the 80s, Kramer versus Kramer. Uh, right there in more, the title. Right there in the title. It's <laughs> mono y mono, if you will. Then the next one is character versus supernatural or divine. Um, this would be where the uh, the book of Job uh, in the Old Testament, mm. uh, where Job wants to question God, and God eventually looks at Job and says, gird up your loins, O mortal, and let me question you. Uh, I don't think I ever want to hear those words from God. That sounds terrifying. Uh, yeah, if that's not terrifying, you think standing in front of a judge is bad? Uh, no. Uh, we but, we've said we said gird your loins a time or two on this on this show as well. Right. Well, you know, so it, I'm a preacher. It's in the Bible a right. lot. So, um, <laughs> uh, but but a more classic example would be something like Hercules, right, where he's given the test by the gods and he has to complete these tests to prove himself worthy. Um, uh, so it's that conflict that really is between the person and something bigger than the person, yeah. uh, supernatural, uh, divine kind of nature, uh, question. Uh, the next one usually is then, uh, person versus or character versus nature. Uh, this would be, uh, the movie Twister where you're dealing with a tornado, mm. um, Jaws, uh, the movie Everest, uh, anything where basically the conflict is surviving nature itself. Yeah. Um, uh, for those of you who are old enough, if you played uh, the Oregon Trail on a computer somewhere Man. between like fourth and eighth grade, that mostly is 
man versus or person versus nature, right? Because the disease, the mountain lion, the snowfall, all those things kill you. All of that's nature. Fording a river. Fording a worst. river. You lost all your supplies and you're gonna die of hunger, right? Again. Yeah. I, I um, love that game. <laughs> it was and did anybody ever win? Did anybody ever make it to Oregon? <laughs> No, I don't know. I know I lost more times than I won if I ever won. If I, I mean, I can't really remember too much from back in elementary days, but I, I mean, I there has to be a point to it, right? Well, the point was to get to Oregon. Well, right, but um, we digress. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's uh, move on. So then the next one, I know we're not going to talk about the Oregon Trail. I've got so uh, many questions, game. though. You know, <laughs> like, we'll have to wait till after. Okay. Right. We'll talk about this later. Um, then the next one would be uh, character versus society. This would be where a group of people or a single person takes on uh, the the greater society. And one of the examples I came up with is the American Revolution, right? It's a relatively small group of landed gentry that decide to take on the whole of the British Empire. Right. Right. That is a character versus society. But you might also include like the Hunger Games if you're going with fiction. You might think Rosa Parks. Uh, when she decides she's not going to move on the bus, that is a single person taking on the norms of society mm. and ultimately uh, uh, better society for the long run. Hunger right. Games, not so much. Everyone dies in the end. Um, <laughs> and then finally, they've added this since I was in school. Uh, at least I don't remember it from school and, and the things that I've seen say it's new are character versus technology. Uh, and ironically, when I gave this presentation, we couldn't get the computer to work to show the presentation. Um, <laughs> I lost the technology one. Uh, I should have gone home at that point. Uh, but it's really more, um, think, uh, uh, the Terminator, the Matrix. Uh, you might even yeah. say you might even say Darth Vader in Star Wars, right? Because he's half machine. Um, uh, Probably say me and my laptop. Yeah, yeah, you and your laptop. Uh, but a classic example that goes back from before computers would be the story of John Henry, uh, the coal-driving man, uh, the uh, African-American hero who takes on the coal-driving, coal-digging machine and wins the race and then proceeds to die from exhaustion. It's kind of the marathon story of uh, you beat you beat the clock, but you die in the end um, again. Wow. It's depressing. That's really depressing. Sorry. Um, but all of those have a villain. <laughs> all of them yeah. have a villain. An easily identified villain, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. That, yeah. And, that's, and that's just as important, uh, I think, to like telling a good story as, you know, the nature of the conflict itself. Yeah, you've got to be able to tell uh, who the villain is. Now, sometimes you want, in a good story, that villain may not be fully apparent at the beginning. Um, uh, but eventually you're going to go, Oh, there it was. Yeah. And, uh, uh, um, can't think of his name, but the guy that does, uh, six cents M night Shyamalan. I was just right. thinking he, he does a great job yeah. of hiding the villain. Sure does in plain sight yeah. in lots of his movies. And then you go, Oh yeah. I saw him the whole time. and didn't right. even know it. Um, so he, 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 he takes that, that to another level, but here's the deal. Mr. Harris, I've not lived a perfect life. Have you lived a perfect life? I mean, close, probably as close as any, no, no, not not anywhere right. close. Right. Would you cast yourself as the villain in no. your story? 
Absolutely no. not. No. Right. <laughs> In fact, I'm the I'm the star of my own show. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's why we have a podcast. Yes. <laughs> Indeed. I mean, if this isn't proof that we're not the yeah. that we're not the stars of our own show, yeah, everybody needs to hear from us too. You know, <laughs> right, right. We, we don't just entertain ourselves; we entertain the world. Yeah. You're welcome. This is our gift to you. We're we're, we're like top ten educational podcast in Botswana or Ghana or something like that. <laughs> something so, like that. well, that one time, that, that one just time. that one episode. Yeah, okay. Um, uh, right. I am not. I mean, I I am certainly not the villain of my own story. You know, right. I there's been moments where like. I have not risen to the occasion per se, but, uh, but right. I think I, I, I think I'm like, uh, you know, a, a lovable, affable character. Yeah. I like you. Thanks. That's great. Your mom says you're cool. She, she does. She does. Which, you know, she's a sweet lady. She knows she what you're talking about. <laughs> um, but yeah, so no one wants to be the villain in their own story and no one's going to write their story where they're the villain. And, uh, I didn't talk about this today, but I'll, I'll use it uh, in a different different way. Um, I want to talk to you about uh, Mr. David Shepard, who's been accused of homicide in in uh, Palestine, here in Texas. Right. Okay. Okay. Uh, the state has accused him of uh, murder, capital murder, assault with a deadly weapon. And they're going to put on in evidence, if we refute that this is not, you know, what it is, uh, that he is known to kill animals. Um, he is known to carouse with women uh, and even may have had a man murdered for the opportunity to be with his wife. Okay. Okay. Now, the state has painted this person as a villain, murderer, gun for hire tortures animals, kills animals, the whole nine yards. Mm -hmm. But the Old Testament calls him a man after God's own heart. This would be King David. Uh-huh. Oh, right? okay. He assaults Goliath, kills him right there in front of thousands of witnesses. He has uh, Nathan. Uh, no, Nathan's a prophet. Uh, he has uh, Bathsheba's husband sent to the front line to try to get him killed. Right. He's known to have killed a bear and a lion while acting as a shepherd. Right. These yeah. are all things that are in the scriptures. And yet in the Hebrew story, he's the hero. Yeah. Hey, Dude, I was like, David Shepherd, is this a real case of yours? We never go out to Palestine. Right. Uh, <laughs> but right. But you see, see, how, see what I yeah, did there? I did. I do. Yep. Sucked you in. Got the hook. That was good. That was nice. That was um, nice. But if we recast that story as the prosecutor, we have made King David uh, the hero of the Old Testament and the Hebrew script, one of the heroes of the Hebrew scriptures, a villain. Right. And yeah. part of our job as a storyteller is to recast the story in such a way that the person that when they when the juror walks in, the judge walks in, the prosecutor walks in, they all look at our person. They might as well be Heath Ledger in the in the Joker makeup. He is or she is the villain. We all know that. And this is where the story's going. Yeah. To help reframe that, to help hear their story and help reframe it where they, the defendant, is not the villain is incredibly hard, but it all depends on how you tell the story. Right? Yeah. 
is David Shepard a murderer or is he the hero to his people? Depends on if you're if you're the Philistines, he's a murderer. Right. He didn't fight the right way. But to the to the Hebrews, he's a hero. Okay, so so it's all about mind blown. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I could did, see I, it in your I eyes. Really, you're, like, you're like, whoa. Well, I'm thinking about like, okay, I'm, I need to. That add is a, a copyrighted story. I actually made that one up a few weeks ago. I need to add the slide to my PowerPoint now for jury selection. Um, so, uh, but anyways, yeah, I mean, I, I like the way you you put that. I, um, I think good storytelling is indeed. Uh, a huge part of representing our clients, especially jury selection and, and, and obviously opening and closing what we're talking about today. <laughs> how do we do that? How do we go about doing, how do you do that? So first of all, you got to, you, you, you actually have to meet your client. Oh, well, which sure. Is shocking. I mean, right? right. Like that's baseline stuff, <laughs> but then you have to meet them as a person, which is harder, Right. I know, I know that because I get caught in it. Occasionally, yeah. you, you, we have all sat in a hallway or in a holdover or in a in, in a attorney booth, looking at our client, going, "You're an idiot if you don't take this deal." They're going to be able to prove this, and we get caught up in it. We get caught up almost in trying to prove to them that that, that they're that they're the villain. Yeah, right? I mean, I, I've I've gotten frustrated before when I'm when I'm like, you know client you need to trust me uh on this and you know this is the this is as good as it's going to get essentially you know right sure and well they're not the villain in their own story right and especially in their own head right so they're they it's hard for them to hear i'm the villain in this story i'm going to admit that i'm the villain in this story and not only am i the villain but they're saying I'm bad enough that I need to go to the go to prison or be a sex offender or have to go to drug rehab, whatever it is. And they're like, I'm not the villain. They don't understand the question. Yeah. So one I've I work on and we all get caught just taking that step back one and saying. They have the right to say no to a plea. I can tell them this is a decent deal. I don't know that's going to get much better. And then take a deep breath and say, now you need to make a decision. And I will, I will fight with you 100% if you decide not to take a deal. What's the loss in that? Am I going to, because I find myself getting caught up going, I'm going to go to trial. I'm going to get my ass kicked. I'm going to, my guy's going to go to the pen for 25 years. Yeah. Well, whose fault is that? Well, I mean, it's not my fault. It's not certainly not your fault. I mean, so long as so long as you're not ineffective, right? So long as you're right. doing your job, it's not your. It's certainly not your fault. I mean, you're not the reason that it. It could be. It doesn't have to be your your client's fault for him being in the defendant's chair at trial, but it's certainly not your fault. Correct. You know what I mean. And, I, and if I can't make him take a plea to be able to step back first and go, you're a human. It's your life. You're making a decision, and I'm here. Just like if you go to the doctor and the doctor says you have cancer, you don't have to get treatment. True. Yeah. Right. Well, it reminds me of what Neil Krug said, uh, turning down in Houston uh, when we had him on the show. He's like, "Look, man, my job is to do what my client wants. If they don't want to take the deal, we're going to trial. Like it, it's as easy as that." Right. Um. And that 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 I think is a, you know, that's our number one job. 
right? right. Uh, and defending somebody is not trying to convince them one way or the other. Now I need to lay out all the options, but we're getting off track. But uh, right. so so to be able to stop and listen to them and what they want, and remember they don't want to be the villain in their story. But then to get to know them a little bit, see them as a human, um, because in in fifty one and a half years of life. I don't want to take the top 10 bad days I've had and put them off on the board and go, that's Andrew Decker in totality. Because they would suck. Yeah. Right? I also know I can't put the top 10 days I had up there and go, that's Andrew Decker in totality as much as I would like to. Why? Because it's my own story. Right. Right? Because in reality, I'm somewhere in between. Okay. So to know them, and sometimes that means not talking about the case. It means asking them, what what what'd you do in eighth grade? Where'd you grow up? Hmm. Right. I ask everyone, I start my interview, you know, like, Hey, I'm Andrew Decker. You know, if I'm especially appointed client, uh, I've been appointed as your attorney. You are so-and-so. Yes. Anything you tell me is confidential. Nothing. And I'm like, let's start with something easy. Where'd you grow up? Hmm. And I'll be like, well, on Northside. Did you go to Northside High School? Did you go? Did you go to high school in Fort Worth? No, no, no. Yeah, I grew up there, but then I moved. Uh, oh, so you, you you lived in a small town for high school? Okay, where'd you go? All right. Um, and it's three or four or five minutes. Yeah, but it helps you get an idea of where they came from. I'm also amazed how often I can go. Yeah, yeah. A good friend of mine went to the same high school, or I went to the same high school. Yeah, I mean, I think that would, I mean, that obviously helps you in defending the case and, and establishing, um, you know, the the story of trial, what you want to what you want to um, bring across to a to a jury. It humanize helps you humanize them, but also probably creates a lot of trust between you and your client. Yeah, it, it also gives. It doesn't matter what it is, if you have something that you can go, we have a commonality in this point, in this place. It's amazing how much how much deeper the bond is. It's no longer just professional. So even if it's, yeah, I have one of my best friends, I you, just say North High, Northside High School, went to Northside High School in Fort Worth, right? Mm-hmm. Great. They don't have to know who it is, but I know, right? Or I have a friend that used to teach there. Or Lamar High School in Arlington. I'm amazed how many clients I've had. And part of it is it stands out in my head because I'm like, I went to Lamar in Arlington. I was a class of 90. And they're like, oh, cool. I wasn't even born in 90. I was like, I get that, right? <laughs> <laughs> or if they, they say any school in Arlington, I'd be like, well, I went to Lamar, but I got your back on this, right? You know, yeah. it, it still becomes a little bit of a, you know, hey, we we, we went to the same places. Um, but to get to know them as a human, to slow down and respect them as a human, those things greatly help your ability to relate to them and then to tell their story and for them to trust you. Those are critical to, uh, to that ability yeah. and, and possibilities. Um, and it also helps you develop your theory and theme moving on to the next point. There you go. Uh, so a theory, we all, we often talk about a theory, uh, of a case and those would be the legal arguments on based on which the, uh, uh, based on the facts, right? But when I was prepping the CLE, I also found that some people have started talking about a theme of the case, 
and they call those the pivotal point or element on which your case turns. Sometimes they'll say the emotional point. Um, and the example that several people use is the O.J. Simpson's trial. If it does not fit, you must acquit. That's not a legal argument. That's not a theory of the case. But that theme, that little just hook, that line. Brilliant. I, all I can remember is the Ford Bronco. Yeah. And uh, that statement and him holding up a glove that doesn't fit. And all of us, all of us watching it go, well, of course, it's a up glove. It's not going to fit. Right. But you, it's hard to get past. If it does not fit, you must acquit. It was powerful, man. It it really was. Was genius. Yeah, the theme was better than the theory, and it carried the day. Yeah. Um. So develop that theme and that theory, and that means you've got to know your facts. You have to know your facts better than the prosecutor does. I'm amazed how often I walk out of a trial, a hearing, whatever, and I look at the prosecutor and go, "I, I texted you the other day saying I, I just." Walked a guy on a motion to adjudicate. Mm -hmm. Got him reinstated. I looked at the prosecutor and I said, hey, uh, you got to me. I need to talk to you about something else. We walked in the back and I opened my file and I put something down and I said, that, you didn't introduce that and in in your guy's walking. And he looked at me, he goes, where'd you get that? I said, I got it from your evidence. <laughs> and it was something that was creepy. It wasn't illegal. But I think if they would have put on anything about this creepy piece that he did while he was while his GPS monitor wasn't being charged 100 percent all the time, I think the judge would have said that's creepy as shit and you're going to the pen. Yeah. Right. The creepy factor would have gotten him because he, he didn't have his GPS charged the whole time. All right. Well, we're able to say no, no infractions. He's had it since then. You know, it was. But at the same during those same days. He has this weird deal of like following a school bus and then following it into the bus barn. Creepy. Yeah. Right. Well, know their facts better than they do. Right. Two reasons. One, you'll never be surprised. And two, you also are prepared for the very worst things to come out. And often they don't. I'm amazed how often I walk out of a hearing or a trial and I go, I could have tried it better. Yeah. Yeah, I get that right. all the time. Um, so know your stuff. That way you can come up with a great theory and a great theme of the case if there is one. So know your human. Know, know your human. Know your client as a human. Know your facts. Know your arguments. Know them better than they do. Um, Sounds like a bunch of work. Yeah, it's not, it's not easy. But I will say this, right? Like, if you are actually working, right? Um, you're, you're getting in clients. Sometimes I do. Right. Right. So, I mean, it's, that's what I'm trying, I guess that's what I'm trying to, it sounds like it's a bunch of work, but you know, if you're bringing your clients in to review discovery, you're, you're noting your file. Well, you know, it's real. it doesn't take that much work to know the facts of your case better than the prosecutor. I mean, they're drowning in cases, right? Yes. It does not take much to know the facts better than a prosecutor. I'm, I'm set for trial on Monday. And the prosecutor's like, so wait, what happened? And I'm like, oh, you guys, we're, we'll get into it. You know, like we shall see. And so now they're talking conditional dismissal. We'll, we'll see how that winds up. But, but, um, but, you know, these, these things that you should be doing in the, in running your practice, you know, should help you with all this. And like from day one, when you're, when you're interviewing your client, you know, I know like you get a new client in, we're, 
you and I are talking about it and we're thinking like, okay, here's theory and theme. We're, we're developing that stuff like from the get go. Right. And I think that's what I heard and, and learned time and time again at the Tim Curry trial college. I mean, the, the, what am I? Thinking? Tim Evans, Tim Evans, dead gum. Tim Curry was a prosecutor. Lord rest his soul. Tim Evans. Tim, Yeah. Yeah. Tim Evans. Vince attorney. And he is. Yes. Still alive and with us. And and Lance Evans' father, uh, you know, great, fantastic attorneys in the state. I'm sorry. Apologize. It's a Friday that we're recording. It's okay. So did I ever tell you? But in the trial college, they they really hammered that home, like theme the, theory, theme theory. Right. That's that's all trial college is. I mean, it is the number one piece is what is the theory of the case? What is your theory of the case? What is your theory of the case? Um. So. Mr. Harris, uh, we're 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 finished with jury selection. We are uh, the 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 indictment has been read. Your client has said not guilty. Do you have a right to an opening statement? Well, okay, so I know the answer to this just because I just sat through this CLE. <laughs> That's why I'm saying um, to, to, to look smart. Yeah. Well, okay, so. I knew the answer to this. I wasn't answering a lot. It was funny that a lot of judges, both judges in, yeah, in, the, room, judges in the room, like immediately raised their hand when you were like, do you have a right? Yes. Yes. Raise your hand if, the, if you think yes. Yep. You have a right to an opening. No, you only have a right to an opening if the state makes an opening. Now, judges don't know that. Obviously. So I That's will. I cannot count on one hand when the state has waived an opening, and the and the judge looks at me and is like, "Defense, would you like to make an opening?" And I'm like, "Absolutely, I would love to talk with the jury and have all of their attention without any rebuttal from the state." Right. So, um, no, you don't have a right. Oh, well, only when the state makes an opening. Right. Um, but again, the state's going to make an opening almost every time. It's just a kind of an automatic. Uh, yeah. And again, the judges. It happened. The judges don't know if they say, would you like to make an opening? I'm not going to stand up and go, well, judge, it would not. I don't have the right. I'm going to give the opening uh, and it would be on the state to object to that. Uh, yes. At that point. Well, and and yeah. And as a, I, I always tell people, uh, state and defense, like just never wave opening. I like if a defense, you know, if you wanted to wait till your case in chief to give it, that's great to do that. But never wave opening. That's just it's just such a nice time to lay everything out for the for the jury. Right. I like to put up road signs at that point. Yeah. I want you to watch for this, this, and this. Yeah. Do, do they ever do blank? And people they they and if they're paying attention, they kind of look at you like, huh? And then later, because I know my facts, I know they didn't do blank, whatever it was. And I go, I told you to watch for this. It'd be pretty important to do. They didn't do it. They didn't present it. You know it didn't happen. It needs to be a not guilty. Yeah. Right. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> but the, I put the road sign out there so that they have a different way to go. Um, Certainly. What's a risk you take in making an opening statement? Minus, you know, like tripping and falling right there in the courtroom if you're walking around. Yeah. I mean, uh, okay. So there's some not so serious risk and there's some really serious risks. Right. So the not so serious is like, okay the state kind of gets wise to your theory and theme of the case and can kind of, you know, head you off at the pass. They can use your own words against you in closing, all that kind of stuff. The really serious one that I, I didn't quite get, but you talked about in your CLE and I'm right. not going to go ahead is you op you can open the door. Oh, uh, which like when you said that, I was like, Oh crap. That's so true that I, 
just forgot in that moment. It, yes. Yeah. That's extremely serious. Um, especially if you have priors, if you have extraneous offenses, if you've got ID issues, all that kind of stuff, you talk about that in opening the state now can rebut that. Yeah. Yeah. So opening the door, sometimes your theory and your theme, you're going to have to open the door. You're it's all you've got. Right. Yeah. Um, inconsistent statements in a, in a sex case, right? Well, if the person has priors in a child sex case, they're going to come in. If you, if you even blink in that direction. Correct. But sometimes it's all you've got. That's true. That's um, true. and so know that, know that you may be opening the door. If you don't, your client may go, why the hell did we not talk about these things? Because it's all we had and you didn't talk about it. You didn't bring it up. You didn't ask questions about it. You just let it sit there. I think that's going to be considered probably more egregious than opening the door on something where you know you're going to have to address it because it's all you got. Yeah. Um, it's scary. It's scary, but you're right. I mean, like you have to know your risk. That's just a part of knowing your case is, uh, identifying that, that potential, um, roadblock there and, and determining if it's worth the risk or not, yeah. you know, and you need to practice. I know that was a point that we made in the CLE that we didn't quite cover. Like we, you need to practice your openings so that you don't mistakenly open the door or say something or phrase use a phrase or a word or um you especially know especially if you're trying to avoid opening the correct. door correct right yes um uh but again going to trial is often in well it's a risk and our client has chosen a risk uh, yeah yeah it's a risk it can be a calculated risk you right. know i mean i i mentioned i'm going to trial uh, coming up in a couple days, our offer was max probation, straight probation. Uh, so conviction with the maximum time. I think if we're found guilty, I think this judge is going to do a very minimal probation, um, if any. So, uh, you know, there's no choice right. in, in that instance. Yeah. Sometimes sometimes you're, you're betting on house with house money. Why not? Why not? Um, other times it's something where the, the client really cannot admit True. Uh, yeah. To what happened because it would be marking themselves in a villain in a way that they consciously almost can't do. It's almost impossible. Yeah. Um, uh, to overcome that, to to say yes, I did this, and it's it's heinous enough they can't get there to say those words. Um, and then other times they're like, if I'm going to go down for that. I got to prove it. Yeah. Okay. Yep. <laughs> Fine with me. It's fine. That, that honestly, those are the in some ways the easiest because that that to me is a tell that they probably know they did it and they just don't want to they don't they don't want to just lay down. Right. They're they're here for the fight. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Great. They're gonna Let's go down swinging. I'm fine. sure. I'm fine. Um. So anyway, that that that's that's the meat. Uh, there was some other kind of fancy little things that happened at the beginning and the end of the CLE, but that's the meat of what we talked about. Uh. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the biggest the biggest takeaway is is and I don't think our defenders really have this to worry about, but do the work, know your cases, know your client. Um, you know, and I and I think if you do that, then you'll be all right. Then the theory and theme is kind of natural. Humanizing your clients kind of natural. There's builds trust between clients and um the client and attorney and, and all that. So 
yeah, it was a good, it was a good presentation. And and I think it's really important for our listeners to be reminded of. Yeah. So what else you got, Mr. Harris? Man, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be a busy spring. Um, thankfully happy to have the work. Amen. Um, it, uh, you know, I don't know. What about you? What you got coming up? Uh, I'm going to take a little vacation for spring break. Nice. Yeah. 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 Beyond that though, I've got several things that look like they're going to trial in the next four or five months. And, uh, as you said, it's going to be a busy spring. It's, it's coming at us. Yeah. Enjoy that vacation. Need to recharge. I, 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 um, I know I've, I'm taking some small hiking trips, like just weekend type trips, but I'm, I'm really looking forward to them. Hopefully it'll, you know, that time in nature will recharge my batteries a little bit. Cool. Get back to the fight. All right. Well, that's all I got. So for Andrew Harris, I'm Andrew Decker. Thanks, y'all. And for Andrew Harris. Oh, and I and for Andrew Decker, I'm Andrew Harris. He's going to eventually get We that. haven't done this, it in a month. This, this, this is. <laughs> y'all be good. <laughs> Take care. <laughs>